Amen. Go and have a seat, church. Uh, if you're joining us online, uh, we welcome you as well. We're going to be in Galatians 6 today. And um, we are in a new uh, series that we're calling A City Called Eden. Last week we talked about, kind of laid the foundation down and how God uses his people to help restore cities. And that we kind of start off in the garden, right? But at the end of time, we end up in a city. So there's this kind of paradisical new Jerusalem that God kind of has on his mind that as we go about doing the things of God, as he says in Ezekiel 36, he talks to his people and he says, hey, listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to restore your cities and the places that were all broken down and beat up and abandoned. I'm going to make those like the Garden of Eden. Or uh, in Jeremiah 29, he promises something similar. And he says, listen, I'm going to restore that city. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it good as new. I want you to to, to build homes. I want you to live your life. I want you to get jobs. I want you to have your kids and your grandkids there. And when the time's right, I'm going to restore it. And so we have a part to play in what God is trying to do. God imagines us as thriving uh, in him and helping the world uh, he created reach its full potential. And today, it is a, uh, we're going to start a new season. We're calling it harvest season here at New Vintage Church. And we're going to be talking about some of the things that we I got in store for uh, later this year and kind of this next 12 months in terms of the harvest. And harvest in the Bible is an imagery that's used to, uh, to, to talk about the things that God really wants to see to bring people to his son. Now, you can harvest lots of things in the Bible, but the, the dominant metaphor that he's talking about is the harvest kind of of lost people. So uh, when Jesus is talking, we'll, we'll talk about Matthew 9 a little bit later, but Jesus comes and he says, hey, listen, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he'll send workers out into his field. That's the harvest he's talking about. Uh, and so we want to take Galatians uh, 6 and take a look at that today. And I want to begin by just telling you a little bit about the book of Galatians and, and what's going on in chapter 6. Then we're going to take it, apply it to everyday life for us, and then look at it through the lens of harvest, kind of in general for our church and for the world that we live in. All right? Sound good? All right, so Galatians. In the book of Galatians, you have Paul. He's writing to this new church full of uh, Gentile converts. These are non-Jewish converts. And the, the issue on the table is what does it take to be a Christian? Really, like a real one. So not somebody, like in our, in our world, we, we kind of have this continuum. We seem to think that there are like different grades of them or something like that, that there's a person who's kind of like a seeker or whatever, and there's like a super seeker, and everybody's kind of like along this grade. I'm not sure that that's really a biblical thing. You kind of have followers, people that are checking Jesus out. Then you have people that make a decision, yes, I'm in or I'm out, and then they're in or they're out. That's kind of the way that it goes. Well, these Galatians had said we're in, and there was a group of Jews around them that said, great, we're thrilled, very exciting, glad to have you on board. Now, there's only one thing left to do. You need to be circumcised, which if you're an adult Greek male was probably not that exciting. But it was also not exciting to Paul, who said, no, what you're saying to them is that their salvation in their identity as Christians is not founded on Jesus. It's Jesus and circumcision. And whenever you add an and to Jesus, you already have left the, the building. It's not Jesus and, it's Jesus period in the Bible. So that's what he's saying to, to, to the Galatians. So he goes through it, but then he says, listen, I know there are people who think that you, 
Your, your life is based on the works of the law and obedience to the law. But he says, listen, the, the law was good. There was nothing wrong with it. But it came to bring you to this new era where you're now living life under the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is what drives you now. And he says, so, so when you walk by the Spirit, you don't obey the desires of the flesh. So you don't need the law because the Spirit's driving you to do the right things and to live a holy life and to, to, to be driven to do the right things, uh, the, the things that God wants you to do. So... Uh, Paul doesn't see this disconnect, and he gives them, this is what the fruit of the Spirit look like, and this is what the works of the flesh look like. So if you're doing the works of the flesh, you know you're not living by the Spirit, but if you're living by the Spirit, then you're not under the law. So he goes on, but the question that still keeps bugging everybody is, okay, well, but how, what if people don't do the right thing? Don't you need law to, to make them do the right thing? Would people just kind of go off and live the way they want to? No, Paul's already addressed it earlier in the book, but he gets to chapter 6. And he says this. This is uh, chapter 6, verses 7 to 10. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest, there's your word, if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. All right, so we're going to take a look at three things that the good harvesters have, three traits of good harvest people. And so this applies to harvest in your individual life, but it also applies to kind of our bigger picture harvest kind of thing that we're talking about here at church in terms of how we reach the world and make an impact for Jesus. So first thing he points out there is that uh, you want to plant what you actually want to harvest. So what you put in the ground is what comes out in the harvest. So you don't, you don't, if you want pumpkins to grow, then you don't plant strawberries. You plant strawberries, you're going to get strawberries. You want pumpkins, you better plant pumpkins. And this is a very special time of year, I know, by the way. Those of you, it's the first day of fall, so all you, 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 you candle-burning, sweater-wearing, pumpkin spice latte-drinking, Trader Joe-shopping people, good for you. Good on you, all right? Congratulations, all right? Yes, I know. Everybody's like, ooh, we're in the back. It was funny. The husbands in the, in the first service, husbands were like, hmm. They were like, oh, man, my wife's wearing burnt orange already today or whatever. Um, but uh, it is. It's that time of year, right? But you go, all right, so this is the time of the year where the pumpkins come out, the pumpkin spice, man. Kids are like, Halloween's on the way. That's the time of year where, where if you plant a pumpkin, you get pumpkins, but you don't sit there and go, I have a big lemon tree in the front. When the lemons come out, I don't get disappointed. Uh, I know that's a lemon tree. Somebody planted a lemon tree. And so it produces lemons. What Paul's saying is, look, you, you, whatever you put in the ground is what you're going to harvest. You will reap what you sow. So at a personal level, then, what you want to do is say, okay, I, hey, I want my kids to grow up in the Lord. Okay. What are you putting in the ground that's going to produce that kind of fruit. Hey, you know what? I want my marriage to, to continue to be strong and to have a degree of romance. And I want it to be focused on the Lord and all that. Okay, great, great. What are you planting that would lead to that fruit? Because if what you plant is either A, nothing, or B, designed to get a different outcome, to bear a different kind of fruit, then that's what you can expect. So as we kind of keep going through the uh, uh, kind of his analogies here, you start thinking about, um, you know, okay, I don't, I, I'm not going to plant corn and then end up with kumquats on the other side. 
In the same way, you don't get to where God's vision is through osmosis or something. There's a planting, a watering, and a harvesting that goes with it. If you invest your life in yourself, you tend to reap a lack of quality relationships. If you spend your time only on recreation and nothing uh, kingdom-minded whatsoever, uh, then you tend to reap a fairly loose, uh, shallow, kind of not kingdom-oriented existence. If you spend all of your money on selfish pursuits, uh, you tend to reap a lack of generosity in your heart over time. Um, it took me a while to understand my parents and what they were up to in their approach to money. I, I make fun of my parents a lot in, in this regard because my, 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 my dad is cheap, man. And I, I don't mean dad cheap. I'm a dad. I'm cheap. I'm a turn off the lights kind of dude. You leave in a room, turn off the lights, okay? Common sense. No, you don't buy a new outfit just because you already wore that one. The idea is you wear it again. Why would you wear a dress one time? I'm cheap, right? There's that kind of dad cheap. And then there's like my dad cheap. My dad, if you go to my parents' house, and, and they do watch this, so I, I know I'm, there's probably already a text being typed to me right now from my mom. And um, mom, I love you and dad, but you're weird in this sense, okay? They, they, they have solar in their house, and if you go to their house, I don't care what time of year it is. They say December, and it's really cold out. You would go in. They do not have the heat on. The lights are not on usually, and they're like in parkas. They're in their 70s, man. You need heat, and you need air conditioning when you're that age, and it doesn't cost them anything. Like, guys, just turn it on. Oh, we don't want to be wasting. You're not wasting. It's the sun. God put it in the sky to give you warmth and, and stuff, and, and it's, it's good. You've done your part. You're not doing anything. You're not killing the environment. You're not costing any money. It's beautiful. Right there, a little switch. Do that, and you and Dad don't have to wear parkas around the house. You can read except by candlelight. You know, you guys can read with light bulbs and everything. It's great. And my dad's one of those dudes I, I you know, you go, hey, Dad, Dad, can we go to Disneyland? You know, he look at you like... Like you'd ask him if you'd go to Mars or something. <laughs> tell you what, so I'm going to take you over to Sears and let you ride the escalator. How's that sound? You know, one of those kind of dudes. And, uh, you know, but I, I didn't understand. I thought they were cheap. They're not cheap. They're not cheap people at all. They're frugal people. And they're frugal because they like to give their money away. It took me a while to get there and understand the method to the madness. As I got older... I would watch as people would come to their house, and they'd go, oh, that's cool coffee mug. Oh, would you like it? They'd like, just give it to them. You know, so if you ever meet them and, and you ask for them, uh, ask them or you point out anything that you like that they might have as a possession, they, they may offer it to you. Uh, and, but they would do that, and, and I think in their mind what they were saying was, we would rather our money do other things. We'd rather somebody else get some use out of it. It doesn't matter to us. So we're willing to do without this so that somebody else can have it because it doesn't, doesn't bother us. It was their way of, of sowing a particular thing so that a particular fruit could be born, including in their kids. They wanted their kids to be generous people. So one of the ways they did that was they role modeled it, right? That's I'm planting here so that they'll see it. I, I remember vividly on Saturday nights, my mom sitting at the secretary's desk uh, near the front door of the house, Filling out her church check on Saturday nights. Lasting memory in my head. 
And so they, they had a, a way of being very consistent. I mean, they weren't perfect. They'd be the first to tell you that. But, but they did some things really well. And one of them was, we really want our kids to grow up in the Lord, so that means we're going to do this in order to, to plant. We want strawberries, so we're going to put strawberry seed in the ground. So parents, for instance, okay, if you want to raise your kid in the Lord, that's, that's, that's great. That's what God wants you to do. Okay, what are you, what are you doing to make that a reality? Now, it's not all on you. God, God clearly is part of the process. But there's still the principle here. You're going to reap what you sow. Now, I, um, I had a conversation with somebody not that long ago where uh, he was telling me how, you know, he wanted to be able to raise his kids in the Lord. Okay, what are you doing? And, and at every juncture of his life, he seemed to be making decisions that said something different to his children. So he would say, I want to raise my kids in the Lord, but okay, where are you guys going to church? Well, we're not going to church right now. Why not? Because they don't want to go on Sunday mornings, and, and I don't want them to resent church later, so I'm not going to make them go. And I said to him, I said, well, okay, I, I kind of understand what you're, what you're going for there. Let me ask you this. Do, do they always want to go to school? If so, that's the first child ever born. That, that actually wanted to go to school every single day. But you make them go anyway. You're not afraid they're going to resent school? Right? Or, or is the idea that, no, they have to go to school. Well, okay, but, but do you understand what you're saying to them? Dad makes me go to school, doesn't make me go to church. Now, I'm old school in that regard. But I think what, if, if you're not going to do that, then you have to have some other ways, and I just don't think there are a lot of them, to plant something that sends the message to your child, God comes first. The true north of this house is Jesus, period. When we, go, uh, when, we, when we need wisdom, we go to the word of God first. We don't go to the media first. We don't go to TikTok first. We don't go where We go to the Bible first. And we go to the community of faith. We, we go seek wise counsel among the people of God to get those answers and those decisions and, and to get help if we need it. If, if you say, I want to be a Bible student, I want to know the Word of God, I want it to be a, day, a part of my daily life, okay, what are you doing to sow that so that you would end up over there? Well, I don't like reading the Bible, though. It's kind of boring. Okay, well, the odds are you will not become a biblical scholar without reading it. So you're going to need to find a way, listen to it, try audio, get a better translation. Get in good Bible studies that allow you to, to get interested in it and understand its, its worth to you. So that over here, that stuff can be um, reaped at the appropriate time. Now, Paul, in context here in Galatians 6, he's talking about, about righteousness, and he's talking about what it means to walk in the Spirit. And he's saying, listen, if you go out and you sow, you live a very worldly life, you're going to be a very worldly person and that's going to reap destruction in the end, in the eyes of God. God's not some plaything. It's not like he didn't see what's going on or that you can play games with him. You cannot. But through implication, he's telling this church, sow into each other. You know, if, if, if you want to see a shallow person, it's really not like they're not very well read or something like that. Shallow people are shallow in how they treat people. Sow into people. Uh, you're rarely ever going to go wrong in life investing in people. That's why right before this, he tells them 
bear one another's burdens, and in so doing, fulfill the law of Christ. So into church. It's the chosen epicenter of God's redemptive work in the world. So into your own soul. He says, we will harvest what we plant if we don't give up. So if, if what we put in the ground is what we end up harvesting, then as we look at our outreach as a church body, the question is, okay, what does God want us to do? Then you come back and you say, okay, then what kind of seed should we plant? So he goes on next and he says, you will reap a harvest if you don't give up. So trait number two is harvesters keep going. They keep going. They don't give up. They don't get discouraged to the point of quitting. They don't, uh, they don't sit there and go, ah, you know what, the cost is getting too high. It's too expensive, uh, too much time, too much this, whatever. There's a, there's a harvesting that simply says, look, if I don't get these things off the vine by such and such a time, it's not going to get harvested or it's going to go to waste. In Jesus' case, he suggests that sometimes the issue of lack of harvest has to do with supply chain issues, we'll say. In Matthew 9, verses 35 to 38, he says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest then to send out workers into his harvest field. You remember when the phrase supply chain used to make you feel good? You used to think, ah, supply chain, that's how things get from here to here. And now when you hear the word, you get mad. Or you think, oh, that explains why I don't have what I need. Right? That, that things have kind of changed in the world. For me, the hardest supply chain issue has been the disappearing of Hormel beef tips from the grocery store. I love those things, man, and I, and I hear through the sympathy that I'm feeling here that some of you love them too. Little chunks of beef covered in gravy. It's all it is. It's like a little, 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 little block of heaven in a, in a plastic tray with, a, with saran wrap on the top. You, you pull it out. You put it in the microwave. Three minutes and 17 seconds is for perfection. You pour it on top of egg noodles. College football. That's what I'm talking about on a Saturday. That right there, okay, <laughs> that's what the heavenly banquet's going to be like. It's good. And, man, somewhere in the middle of COVID, they just disappeared. There used to be a stack of three or four of these things in our house, in our refrigerator, in the upper right corner. That was Dad's little shelf of joy right there, and that's where the beef tips were. And if I was going to be at house by myself, out came the egg noodles, and beef tips were going on top of them, and then they vanished. I couldn't find them anywhere. About three weeks ago, I'm at Stater Brothers right here on Washington going to get some meat. And I didn't expect to see them, but I've been looking, okay, like, like, like some depressed guy hoping his girlfriend's going to return or something for these things to show back up. And sure enough, there they were, boom, with a new logo on the top. And so I bought every one they had. There were three of them. Yeah, it's kind of like the run on toilet paper, right? It's like, forget everybody else. I'm taking it all this time. But, so I bought all three of them, put them in the upper part of the refrigerator, went through all of them. Boom, boom, boom. Went back yesterday to buy more. There are no more. And I asked the dude, what's the deal? You have the stupid uh, beef roast ones right beneath them. Nobody cares about those. That's why they're still here. Where are the beef tips? And he said, supply chain. 
I go, what's, they got the supply chain to put the lame beef roast ones in here. Where are the, where are the, the real ones, the, the, the things up here? And so he tells me that Hormel's been having distribution problems. Okay, fine. I say, do you know when you're going to have them back in again? He goes, honestly, I don't know, man. You know, and in my mind, so I'm like, okay, thank you. You know, in my head, I'm going, what are you even here for, man? You know, is what I'm thinking. I'm upset. I'm mad. And I think to myself, okay, this is like beef tips. It's beef tips. It's like, you know, go find something else to eat or whatever. And, and how upset I was over something so petty. And then I sit there and I go, okay, this is something that God says matters to him. And what he's saying is there's a supply chain problem. I have the gospel. I sent my son. He died on the cross for the sins of the world. And I have the harvest that I want to see happen, but there's a problem. I don't have any workers. The problem in the harvest, and it's not the gospel, it's the workers. It's like the restaurants here on Grand that were closed three days of the week because they didn't have any wait staff. No workers. And so Jesus' answer, I think, is awesome. He calls him first Lord of the harvest. It's a good reminder whose harvest it is and who it is that can bring the harvest. And he says, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he may send workers out into the field. So keep going and pray. Pray to the Lord of the harvest. God, give us, give us what we need. Might be workers, might be money, might be, might be uh, just optimism and encouragement and fellowship or community or whatever. You need, you need some hope or some mending in your family, whatever the case may be. Whatever it is that you need, pray and keep going. For you will reap a harvest of righteousness if you don't give up. Third, Seize every they seize every opportunity to do good. Paul says there, therefore, as we have opportunity, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. As we have opportunity, you seize those opportunities. Unrealized potential is about the most depressing thing in the world. You follow a team, you get after a first-round draft pick, you're all excited because you think this guy's going to be a difference maker, and the guy gets busted for DUI or something, gets suspended for a year. You're like, man, you know, like it, it's frustrating to see somebody who has so much potential squander it completely. Or to see something, for instance, in our case, like as a church, to where there were opportunities for us that we could have realized along the way and we recognized them, we just didn't seize them. So what he's saying here, do good to all people as you have opportunity to do it. So whenever you get the opportunity, do it. Whenever you get it. Seize the opportunity. And that's what we're going to try to do here in harvest season. So we're going to reach. We're going to reach big this year. Uh, we're going to invite you to join us on your way out today, and you'll get it in the mail if, you're, uh, if we have your info. You'll get a copy of it in the mail. Uh, but we're going to spend the rest of this year uh, diving into the, the future of the church from an outreach perspective. Okay? Um, these four things. Now, we typically have had two. Those of you who have been around a long time, we, we do things that have to do with kids, and we do things that have to do with church multiplication. But we're branching out this year. We're going to do four, and we're going to try to raise above and beyond what we normally give, guys, $50,000 okay, to fund these things. And I want to walk you through a few of these. Uh, we'll start with Next Generation Ministry. Uh, when I was in high school, I went to Long Beach Poly up in Long Beach, 5,000 students. I found out they had a Christian club. I decided I'd give it a shot. Somebody invited me. So I walk in to the Christian club meeting. There were three people in there. I was the fourth. 
And I turned around and I walked out. Hope nobody saw me. How's that for courageous Christian leadership on the campus? I did. I was depressed. I was sad. I thought, oh, man, I really do feel like about the only one on this campus. And so later on, down the road, I went into campus ministry and then became a church planner and other things. And when a friend of mine, when I was, when I was starting a church, he said, hey, plant the church you'd want to go to. It's great advice. And so I started thinking about that. I, thought, I started thinking about what it was like for me in high school, and I started thinking about some of the good parts of my being raised at, through high school, and I started thinking about how, how great it was that I was given opportunities to lead at a young age. And so we decided, part of necessity, because, you know, when you've when you, when you got no people, then anything that breathes, you get serving in your, in, in the, in, when you're uh, starting a church. It's like, hey, you know, you're, so my, we, we, my daughter was in fourth grade at the time. We put her in the youth ministry. And, uh, you know, we'd had, we had uh, young people that could barely play instruments that, that started serving on the stage and doing other things. And then we started getting more intentional about it. And we started pouring ourselves in, like actually mentoring and, and really trying to develop leadership in these kids. To where all of a sudden now we've got this wonderful leadership pipeline with young people where they're learning how to lead and they're doing it. And I mean, it's awesome to see. And so we want to keep doubling down on that, not just teens and young adults, but all the way down from, from birth through college and all the different efforts that we got going on. Last Wednesday night in this room, whatever, four days ago, uh, there was an event called See You Before the Poll, all right? I'm going to show you a clip. This is teens, teen-led teenagers in our area, neighboring churches. Uh, this 30-second clip of what was going on last, on Wednesday night here in this room. Go ahead and put it up. I don't know if you can see how many teens are in this room. It's a lot. Awesome. Now, here's something else to think about. Now, so the, the, the headline is, teens who are supposed to be ruining the world as we know it, Take their Wednesday night to get together to praise God instead, and then show up on their high school campuses to witness to Jesus. That's the headline, right? Here's a subplot that I, I think is cool. If you zoomed in on the stage, okay, there were five NBC kids on that stage. We had more NBC kids on that stage than I had in the Christian club in my 5,000-kid high school. Okay, so as a, as a pastor, you just go, <clears throat> you know, you know how much guts it takes to do that in front of your peers? It's like we're not just developing skill, we're developing courage in these kids. Courage. And that, that, that's the stuff that I think, that's the harvest, right? That the seeds were, you know, I mean, there was a lot of, a lot of ugliness from here to there. But it took somebody being willing to say, yeah, you know what, we're going to tolerate a little bit of clumsiness here and there, and we're going to take a little bit of extra time here, and we're going to be patient with you, and we're going to care enough to really invest ourselves in you, and we're going to teach you, try, hopefully through example, how to be courageous, right? We, so we do, it, we do it there. We do it through, uh, you know, 
Sydney's right over here. Sydney Corley, she's doing campus ministry, University of Idaho, uh, one of our own. They're on the college campus, you know, other states away, NBC's making its impact. So we're going to double down on that. i got to hustle. Number two, church multiplication. If Jesus chose the church to be his plan A in the world, we need more churches committed to making more churches and churches be doing everything they can to become the best churches out there. We need both. So we've been invited uh, you know, by God over the course of, of time, and it was part of the initial uh, founding vision of the church to multiply churches. So uh, we're going to have on October 9th, so next week, by the way, Sydney's going to join me. We're going to do a little powwow here on the stage about what she's doing and how God's using her. But on the 9th, Carlos Hesazaga, who's our church planter down at Luminous City, down in the Gaslamp District, is going to be here. He's actually going to preach. This guy's a great preacher. Um, I'll be here too, but, but he's, we're going to let him have the stage in and talk about all the things that God has done down there in the Gaslamp District. I mean, the fact that that church is still alive. So they start, then COVID hits. So that's already kind of the killing fields for church planters down there. Like many have tried to get something that sticks down there. Then COVID hits and kind of shuts everything down. And then when it all comes back, and then you have the, all of the, the scourges of urban life down there that go on that make things a challenge. They got broken into. Everything was stolen. They've had quite a story, and yet God has really done some great things with them. And um, we're, we're super excited to, to share that with you. And you've heard us talk about it before, but I, I want you to meet he and Gina and their kids next week. We've helped in a significant way start five other churches, four overseas, another one up in the Clovis Fresno area. Um, and we've done it through church uh, child sponsorships with compassion. So check this out. You got, we're sponsoring kids. Because of that, these churches can be planted in the third world. We have compassion sponsorships for the teens and for the kids. So the teens and the kids are helping sponsor kids, which helps plant churches and helps kids. So the thing, there's a synergy to it that allows it to go. It's like my, my uh, I've got a hybrid uh, Camry. And the thing charges, as it's rolling, it charges the battery, which then it uses when I'm stopped to get the car to move forward again. It's like that. They reinforce uh, each other. So whether it's Tolomaya Grande, Zihuatutla, Mexico, or Bolivia, or Cartagena, Colombia, they're all still alive. Nathan Hawkins, who's the West Coast representative for Stadia, said, he said this. He said, there are not many churches that have a heart to reproduce and have done it as quickly as New Vintage has. I hope that can always be said about us. I think that's awesome. Um, number three, ministries of compassion. Uh, this is everything that we do here in the, in the community. Uh, in the old days, back before, while, while we were still allowed to do a lot of this stuff, uh, we used to provide uh, the leggings for almost every girl within five miles of here in an elementary school that needed them. Same with shoes for kids, uh, the COPS program uh, for the homeless. We were the sole funder of that for a couple of years, uh, that, that their interactions with the homeless to try and get the homeless off the street. Um, so last year it took the shape of feeding Thanksgiving meals to people uh, with our partners over at Thriving, almost 200 families. Um, you may, won't see this as part of this campaign, but we've got dozens of kids that are sponsored by people, by some of you here in the church, uh, helping get them all that they need, education, healthcare, food, all that good stuff. And this also, in this category, would, would take care of the needy among us. So if there are people here in our body 
that are in need. We've, we've been blessed over the years to never have anybody that's remained in need uh, among us, and I think that makes God happy. Acts 2 would lead me to believe that at least. And then lastly, and i gotta, I got to hustle, but um, the community impact chunk of this is leveraging the kind of once in a metropolitan area opportunity that we've been given geographically right here where we are in our city, favor with our city, favor with the area around us as well, the cities around us. It's in a way that's uncommon for a church in Southern California. So whether it's last year this began to take the shape of the Christmas in the park event that we had across the street, uh, down to the strategic partnerships that we've got up and down this block and beyond throughout the city of San Diego, uh, or the county of San Diego, to help do things that are strategic and help win a witness, a good faith witness for the church. To where the only time that the word church comes out is not when, when they're stopping somebody from doing something, or it's not used as an expletive, but it's something that actually earns uh, the opportunity to be heard in the, in the community. Okay? So you're going to hear a lot about these things as time goes forward. But all of it, go back to harvesting, right? We're saying we want to do this. We're going to plant this kind of seed so that we can get this kind of harvest. And all along the way, we're going to ask the Lord of the harvest to send workers, to send money, to send seed to see this happen. Okay? And so we're asking you to partner with us. On, you'll get it in the mail, but you'll also get it on the way out the door. There's a card. And we're asking people to tell us what you're willing to pledge above and beyond what you normally give. Doesn't do us any good to say, well, I'm not going to give any more to the church. I'm going to give. That didn't do any good. This is above and beyond. Okay? And through between now and the end of the year. Okay? To help this uh, be realized. Em and I are in it with you. We'll lead the way. We'll jump out and do it. But we haven't, we haven't had a campaign here in about eight years. That's a long time, guys. Even when we built this, we didn't have a capital campaign. Uh, God bless us with the means to be able to do it without that. But now we're in, we're through COVID, we're out of excuses. It's time to start doing things again. And so this is uh, a significant upraising of the stakes for us from what we've done in the past because we tended to, because we were very resource limited uh, had to use brain power and creativity to, to leverage things and get things done with, with no money. Um, we're not going to stop doing that. We're going to keep doing that stuff. But now God's put us in a position of influence in our city. And with, with, <laughs> with a, a great opportunity like this, we, we, th there's great responsibility that comes with that. For years, churches tried to get to this spot and couldn't do it. And God chose us to put us here. So now we're going to obey him and we're going to charge the hill uh, in his name. Second Corinthians, Paul's talking to the church in chapter 9. He writes this. He says, now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. I love that. It's like a blessing, a benediction. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. So that's our prayer this morning. As we gather around the Lord's table, 
Uh, we take communion here at New Vintage every week. It's a great time for us to reflect and to contemplate and to say thank you to Jesus for everything that he's done and to do that through the act of uh, taking communion with bread and cup. You should have received the elements on your way in. If you didn't and you would like them, just do one of these deals, and we got ushers coming up and down uh, the aisles, and they'd be happy to give you one. Scripture we'll read uh, right before we pray is Jesus, Matthew 9, again. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, healing every disease and sickness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Let us pray. Lord of the harvest, we come before you now in memory of Jesus who spoke those words. And Father, with those words, the Lord of the harvest, Father, we express our faith that you have in your storehouse everything that we need. Father, help us to be bold, to be courageous. Help us, Father, to have the wisdom and the energy and the resilience to plant, Father, the things that lead to a harvest of righteousness in our homes, in our marriages, with our kids, in our individual lives, Father, in our church, Father, so that we can be a part of the great harvest, Father, that you're about in this world. We thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus and how he fulfilled his calling. And this morning, as we take the bread and cup by which we remember his body and blood, Father, we say that we want to do the same. Father, take our lives, make them sacraments of obedience. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen.